Good morning and welcome to an early morning edition of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, Don, and Steve. And today we're going to talk about a very local story. Um, but before we do, Gracia, what's the drink of the week this week? Actually, I'm going to turn this over to Craig because he made our Bloody Marys today. I wanted to taste the way that he made them. Um, but we did a Bloody Mary bar, so we did shrimp and pepperoncinis and olives and pickles and mozzarella. Tons of stuff to put on them. But Craig, what do we put in the drink? Okay, so this is the Canadian version of a Bloody Mary. It's called a Caesar. And instead of, well, we put in Clamato juice instead of the V8 or whatever it is goes into the Bloody Mary. What kind of juice? Clamato. So think tomato and clam, and then you're kind of on the right track. <laughs> so basically... You said you liked it, Dad. Look at the face. <laughs> Dawn doesn't like it anymore. <laughs> so pour a bunch of that into the glass, throw a couple ice cubes in, and then plenty of Tabasco, Worcestershire sauce, and squeeze a quarter of a lime into it. But before you do all of that, make sure that you uh, put celery salt on the rim. And at that point, you've got yourself a tasty Caesar. And you can always kick it up to insane levels with a lot of Tabasco. It's delicious. Cool. Nice. Well, Dave and I are just drinking the um, non-alcoholic tomato juice version, which I like. I do. Oh, yeah. wait. You have the Clamato juice version. Yeah. <laughs> oh I think it's goodness. great that Dave and Don didn't know it was Clamato, though. They had no clue, so well, it's not as strong. Well, I thought he said tomato, and I was going to correct <laughs> him. We're in America here. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I don't know if you can say that Clamato. No, Clamato. Anyway, <laughs> all right, let's get into it. So today I'm going to tell you the story of Vanessa Macott and her brutal murder. Vanessa was born in Lemonster on a chilly, wet June 17th in 1989. Her parents were John and Rosanna Marcotte. Vanessa has been described as being really fun, like full of life kind of person. And I actually read on the Vanessa T. Marcotte Foundation website that she loved fashion and style and really loved like helping people pull off specific outfits for events and things like that. Uh, she was very active. She liked to run. She did yoga. She liked to read a lot of books. Um, and she was like a, you know, weekend on the capes kind of girl, you know, so um, just very full of life, very fun person. She was also known to give back quite a lot and volunteer in her community. Uh, she would work at like shelters. She would, you know, all that kind of stuff, just very active in everything, in every element of her life. Um, and she loved and she cherished her family and her friends. And she was just like really like living her best life all over the place. Right. So just a nice person. Um, as far as her education went, uh, Vanessa attended the Bancroft School in Worcester, which is a private prep school for like grades K through 12. Um, and then from there, she went on to BU, a Boston University, <laughs> in case people are confused about that. Um, she got her bachelor's degree in communications in 2011 with honors. And that's very, very impressive considering it's BU because that's a known for being kind of a difficult school. Um, and for there, she started her career in Boston. She worked at some startups, um, you know, did some digital marketing, those kind of jobs. And then eventually landed what's described as her dream job at Google in New York City. 
Nice. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah not easy getting into Google. It's so mm-hmm. hard to get into Google. I've heard about their interview process yeah. and like it's like a month's months. You're not even like, you know, a couple hours like we're used to. So interesting. She was sharp. Yeah. She seemed to be very intelligent, um, you know, very naturally compassionate, very active, like I said, just, you know, nice girl. Um, from a nice family. So um so she had to, once she got the job at Google, she moved out to New York City, but she would frequently come home to see her family who lived in Princeton, Massachusetts, which is uh, basically central mass for those who don't know. But I do want to take a second and just describe Princeton to people because I actually think it's kind of like an important character in the case in a way. Um, and this crime really like rocked this town straight to its core. So Princeton, for those people who've never been there, is a quiet little rural town nestled in between Lemonster and Worcester. Its population is just shy of 3,500 people. It has, like, no stoplights, um, although I think there is a blinking light somewhere. There is one blinking light, and <laughs> yeah. you're coming almost to, like, when you want to pick up 190, yeah. there's, like, a stop sign, and then there's a blinking yeah. light near there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's it, yeah. Um, <laughs> And it has Mount Wachusett like in its backyard. So yeah, it's it's real close to here where we live. Um, and obviously it's real close to where Steve lives too. So even though like Princeton is small with 3,500 people, it's area wise, it's pretty large. Uh, like all the houses there are big houses on acreages, like it's a nice town. Um, and the draw here is that Mount Wachusett is basically the only like real mountain in Massachusetts. So there are a lot of people go through Princeton um, to get there but they don't have like hotels or motels or anything so it's not like a place where you go and you stay and do like a ski trip yeah. or you know something like that bill cosby at one point owned a uh, property over in princeton really? he went oh to i a didn't lot. know yeah. that yeah. interesting fact that is interesting hmm. well, that might be another crime to cover yeah <laughs> there you go i mean he's from western didn't he live in western mass he lived in western mass but he had like, there's parts of Princeton where you can actually um, look out, and even though Boston's 60 miles away, you can see Boston. So yep. he owned a, a property somewhere in there, I've read. Yeah. So. Yeah, there are spots on Mount Wachusett yeah. you can see yeah. the skyline in different days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. So. Like, we can see um, Mount Wachusett ski slopes from our deck, basically. You know? So it's really interesting how, like, things you can see based on your elevation and mm. trees and on stuff. On a real like clear day, you can see Russia. <laughs> you sure can, Dad. It's a clear day with lots of wine. You're sitting out on your porch. Look, there's Russia. There's Russia. Just where you left it. Um, all right. So there is also next to no crime in Princeton. Uh, CityData.com has its crime index at 23, which it states is 11.6 times smaller than the national average. So the biggest issue, I like I looked into what is the crime in Princeton then, because there is some. And the biggest issue um, is this beautiful town with large homes on large lots. It's burglary and theft. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but nothing like, you know, armed robbery or anything like that. Right. Yeah. It's people stealing. Beautiful scenery, too. It's gorgeous. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a beautiful, beautiful town. Um, and in fact, in the time between 2006 and 2019, which is the research years that I picked, um, the town had only reported two cases of rape and one of murder. So, and guess what we're going to talk about today. So, so how does a crime like this happen in a community like that? That's really part of the, 
the question that we're trying to answer today, right? So, and I guess in order to do that, we need to visit the events of that fateful Sunday. So Vanessa had come down from New York City and was spending time with her family in Princeton. And it was a Sunday, like I said, so she was planning to return back to New York. It was August 7th, 2016. She decided to go for a run before getting on the commuter bus that would bring her back. Several hours after her run started, she didn't come back. So now her family's like, hmm, she doesn't run for several hours. Like, that's a long-ass run. That's a marathon to go, like, for several hours. So her family immediately calls the police and says she hasn't returned home. Something's up. And this is a feeling that, like, I mean, I can only imagine, but I can somewhat understand. Because every time my daughter goes out for a run or a bike ride, I'm checking the clock, waiting for her to return. I use Find My Act. She has an iPhone. I do Find My iPhone to see where she is, you know, like... Don't, don't no. tell her I said that. <laughs> no, that's smart. It is. Well, I mean, you get that panicky feeling when you're a parent and you're expecting your kids to be home and they're not, you know, and you're like, the fuck, mm. you know? It's pretty scary. I do not want her to worry. Like, I don't want Lonnie to find out, but, you know, like, it's all we do until she gets back. Yeah, I get scared sometimes bringing them to the bus and... If I don't see them get on the bus, I get like, where did they go? Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. My kids always say something to me because when they leave my house, I'm like, text me when you get home. They're 25 and 23. And I still want to know, like, you got home, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's natural. Yeah, it is. So to their credit, the police immediately start a search for her. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, as like a little sidebar here. We talk a lot about how they don't, how they have that waiting period. You know, um, and Vanessa's in her late 20s, but they don't take a waiting period. They'd say, okay, mom, you say it's not like her. Like, let's go search. Um, I think it's fantastic, obviously. I also think maybe the Princeton police probably don't have a lot mm. else going on. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to do when you're a princess. It's like, we can search for somebody? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Guys, guys, wake up. <laughs> yeah. Break out the dogs. So, and I only bring that up per dad's point last, last week or the week before, where he was saying, you know, sometimes the police, they can't search right away because they're too busy. You know, in this case, feeling like Princeton, they're not very busy, so they're happy to, to immediately start up a search and not wait. Um, they got some good people, though, on the Princeton police force, so. Yeah. So. Yeah, it sounds like it. That guy, Jimmy, is a good guy. Yeah. Okay, I don't know him, but I'm glad you do. <laughs> I think Steve's making stuff. <laughs> I was trying to read his face. I'm like, is that fake, or does he know Jimmy? <laughs> so, there's always a Jimmy. <laughs> there's always a Jimmy. Um so they start to search. Um, they start talking to, like, you know, finding witnesses, people who may have seen her. One witness stated that they saw her at this little store called Mountainside Market getting a drink while she was out. Now, remember, this is August. You're out for a run. It's probably hot. I personally, as a runner, don't like to carry water either. So, like, if I ran past the store and I needed a drink, I would definitely stop and get water there. Um, and then another one said that they saw her around 1 o'clock walking and talking on her cell phone now this is kind of interesting so she's clearly distracted because she's walking and talking on her cell phone right she's not paying attention probably and then there was a witness who also saw her that said that they thought that they saw a vehicle following her as she walked so in fact what they said was she was on her cell phone you know she's walking the vehicle passes by her loops around and comes back so 
you know, they think it's weird, but mm -hmm. not weird enough that they like. Yeah, number one self-defense rule for women is have situational awareness. Yeah. And you lose it. You're on your cell phone or you're, you know, that creeped me out. The fact that the guy was probably following her. He was like stalking her. Yeah. 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 And she probably never realized until it was too late. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Just because of the way he was doing it. Pay attention, ladies. Mm -hmm. Look around once in a while. Don't get me started this early mm. in the story. <laughs> so none of the other witnesses, um, like they didn't see where she went. They didn't see if she got in the car. They didn't see if she started running again. This was basically kind of like all that they knew at the time, all they could say. So sadly, at 8.20 p.m., less than half a mile from her mother's house, the police found Vanessa. She was on a trail right off the road, but in a very woody area. She was naked. Her face, feet, and hands had been burned. She'd been sexually assaulted. Her nose was broken, and there were crushing injuries to her throat, which led investigators to believe at the time that she had been strangled to death. Near her body was one partially burned shoe. Otherwise, there was nothing there. And her clothes, her earbuds, and her cell phone has never been recovered. So the assumption there is the killer kept those things. So pretty sad. Less than a half a mile from our house. Doesn't that kill you? Oh, it kills me. And in this location, I know I'm kind of going to talk about the suspect a little bit later, but this location too, witnesses said that they thought they saw a dark colored SUV there with the hood open and a guy there like working on his car, you know, which I said with my little air bunnies. But um, yeah, so I don't know. So it's sad. Um, the police felt that Vanessa must have put up one hell of a fight, uh, which is probably like why her nose got broken and this and that. Uh, so then when they opened up the tip line, they expected that tips would come in from the, and the, they would be able to identify the suspects because those suspects would be covered in scratches, cuts, and bruises. Like they really felt like she fought like hell. So um, in that first 24 hours, over 1,300 tips come into that tip line. The case then attracts national attention, but it was due to the fact that a runner the week before in New York City had been murdered in pretty much the same way. And initially it was like, could these cases be connected? Like New York City isn't really that far from here. It's a three hour car Good ride. Hours, yeah. yeah. So um, you can see why they would think that. But it turned out that that um, girl in New York City, they linked her um, death via DNA to that suspect and that they've arrested that guy already. So, so they're not related. Um, however, thanks to the national attention, the FBI was brought in and they did a profile of the suspect in the crime. They said whoever did this crime would be a stranger to Vanessa, but someone who was very familiar with the area. Um, so cut to November 2016. They have no leads. They nothing to go for. Um, they're still trying to figure out who did it, but they don't know. So police put out another request for information, this time asking for knowledge of the vehicle seen following her. But all they knew was that it was a dark colored SUV based on what witnesses said. So they opened the tip line again and that's what they asked for. Did they also know that it was Hispanic more than likely fellow? I think they got that from the DNA. Oh, I thought they had knew it before now. No, they just knew it was a guy. You know, like they had kind of varying descriptions of him that he was well built, like athletic, you know, but they hadn't really paid too terribly much attention, you know. And that's the thing is like these small towns, like 
you know when somebody's out of place there, and so it catches your eyes. So you can see why they note like the SUV, but you know they didn't stop to really take a mental picture. It sounds like it's sometimes hard if you're not close to the person to see what they look like or their features or something. You're driving by in your car, like um, compared to the car, he was probably this tight, this build, like. If you're not, you're not close to somebody, you, yeah. it's really hard to describe. Right, exactly. Well, he was standing for a period of time. He was actually standing in the road by his SUV, had the hood up. Yeah. Um, going pantomiming like he, he, like he was fixing it. Yeah. He's on his phone or what have you. So I, I, I just thought, I, and my memory at, at my age, it's the second thing to go. But, um, yeah, I had thought that somebody had described him as he looked Hispanic. There might have been one or two people describing him that way, but the police might not have necessarily, like, it's not that they don't believe the eyewitness, but they'll get so many varying um, descriptions that they'll try and narrow it down, like, to just come up with the commonalities, like, he had dark hair, he might be Hispanic, he could be, you know, um, but, you know, they, because when you think about eyewitness testimony and just like, when you look at somebody you, that you don't know, you don't really necessarily take that concrete of a picture. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, because you're not really thinking to, right? Yeah. Like, so we've all been there. And we talked about this in another case, too, is like, you know, I went to Walmart with Craig the other day. We saw people in the parking lot. I probably couldn't describe any of them to you at this point in time, you know, or like even what the Walmart greeter looked like, like it just didn't make an impression, you know. And the police want to avoid making impressions in people's minds because one of the things that can happen is that you can give somebody the like a suggestion that this person was Hispanic and then the way that human memory works, it's interesting, you can actually create memories yeah. that you believe and you believe you're telling the truth. But it's actually not accurate. Yeah. It's why in waitressing you suggestively sell with your head nodding. Yeah. Like, would you like Grey Goose in that? Like, you're you're upping your cost, and you're suggestively telling them, you want to spend more money. Yeah. yeah so that's it's what the they same do, thing. Huh? Yeah. That is wow. what they do. You but, want an appetizer today? How about those chicken fingers? All this time I've been manipulated. You all have. this time, Steve. Yeah. But, Dave, you're right. I mean, I think false memories. I think, I don't know if we've talked about that on this podcast or just talked about it, like, around the dinner table, but I find that uh, concept of false memory and how it can come in just so fascinating, you know? Because people really, like you said, they don't think you yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you'll pass the polygraph. Yeah. Because there's a difference between lying and being mistaken. Right. So, and... The father of American psychology, his name is William James, right? We're going back early 1900s. Believed through a good chunk of his life that he'd been abducted as a child until it was proven to him as an adult that that was a false memory, uh, that he wasn't. Yeah. So it's odd that somebody of that stature, you know, yeah. I think on the other side of it, too, you also block things out, so you almost pretend like they didn't happen. Yes. And then sometimes it comes back to you, and you're like, that's not how I remember it, but then, yeah, you know, like, our brains are interesting. Yeah. So, to get back to the story, um, so after they put out a, a request for more help in November, um, they time just continues to pass by. No suspects come forward, and they don't appear to have any leads. 
Um, now I remember this time as a female runner and because this was literally like right down the street, it's not very far from here. Um, and it was a really scary time to be a runner. Like it's kind of scary to be a female runner anyway, out on the street. Like not only do you have to worry about traffic and you know, you're going to get hit by a car or distracted drivers and stuff, but you do have to kind of be aware of your situation in case you're going to get, you know, accosted by someone. I don't know. And knowing that a runner had been out. Um, and had been murdered in such a way, it was like a little scary. So I actually ended up getting a membership to Planet Fitness so I could run indoors because I just didn't want to run outside anymore. Um, and you guys know me. That pissed me right the fuck off, right? Because I don't think that we should have to do that. I think women should be able to go for a run, but, you know, we they just can't. They absolutely should. Yeah. They absolutely should. But it is it is dangerous. And if you do run, especially if you run alone, my suggestion, carry mace. Yeah, I know a lot. Yeah. I know a lot of my friends do. So. Yeah, I mean, and don't let, like, you know, the thing Ted Bundy used to do, he would act like he was hurt or something. Like he would right. have like a fake cast and be like, hey, can you just help me, you know, pick this up? Do not. Do not go anywhere near people. Always keep more than just normal personal space. And if they try and encroach yeah, yeah. your personal space... Mason Run. Yeah. In February of 2017, the Worcester County DA's office released information about the DNA that they've collected from her and from the crime scene. They didn't say, how, like, where they got it from, if it was, like, a vaginal oh, okay. swab or on her body or something like that. Um, but just that they had it and that they'd used it to create a profile. From this, they learned that the suspect would be Hispanic or Latino male in his late 20s to 30s. And thanks to the witnesses, they also felt he would have an athletic build, be of kind of like average height for a man, and have either short or shaved hair. The suspect would own or would have access to a dark colored SUV. Could be black, could be dark colored, they weren't really sure. And on August 7th, or 8th, 9th, you know, right around there, he would have been scratched and bruised because of the way that they felt that she fought back. Um, so just by happenstance, there's a state police officer in Worcester, and he noticed a dark-colored SUV driving around, and in it was a man who fit the description. So he decided to just take the plates and run them to see who it was and go visit the guy and to see if he was a suspect. So the man whose plates um, they get, his name is Angelo Colon Ortiz. He'd recently moved to Worcester with his wife and three kids, like he was there for less than a year. He had no criminal record at the time. He was from uh, Puerto Rico before then, so he was uh, Spanish-speaking, uh, English, ESL, like English as a second language. He worked for a delivery company that contracted for FedEx, so he was very familiar with the streets and roads in the area of Worcester, Princeton, Holden, that whole whole community. Rutland, yep. And although he had no criminal record, he was a motherfucking asshole. Um, Neighbors said, sorry, neighbors said that he would be vulgar towards women, saying sexual, perverted, or crude comments to them and about them, um, not just in his neighborhood and to people who he knew, but also at work. And uh, one of his coworkers came forward too during this investigation and said that he made her flat out uncomfortable. He was so misogynist and just disgusting to be around. 
So the police follow up with this scum nugget, and they I obtain. Love that <laughs> thank you. They obtain a DNA sample. So they ask him to give it, and he gives it willingly. He gives a cheek swab. Turns out that DNA is a match for the DNA found on Vanessa's hands under her nails, I believe, um, from her body recovery. Dirtbag Colon Ortiz was then arrested on April 14th and charged with aggravated assault and assault to intent to rape and first-degree murder. He was placed on a $10 million bail, which wow. is just... Huge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, clearly he did it. Like, in my opinion, okay, sorry. Allegedly, in my opinion, he fucking did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a $10 million bail for someone who, you know, works for FedEx and has three kids and a wife, obviously he's not going to make that bail, you know. So yeah. they definitely don't want to let him out of jail. On July 26th, he would plead not guilty to these crimes. Now, although Colon Ortiz is a try and true motherfucking asshole, as I said earlier, he has not yet been convicted of any crime, so I do need to say that um, as of today. Uh, and in fact, his legal team is attempting to block the DNA evidence stating that Colon Ortiz did not really understand what the officers were telling him and asking for and the ramifications of voluntarily giving a DNA sample. Other than that evidence, um, I'm not aware of like too much other evidence that would keep him in jail. So this is like kind of a big deal. Yeah. It yeah. is funny because it, it's still a match. <laughs> yeah. Just well, because you know. it was not prob he didn't understand it, it still matched. And they're not saying partial match. They're saying full it's a, match. It's a match. So yeah. it's not it's even not a question. It'll be like one in every five trillion people would match this closely, kind of and there's only a few billion people in the world. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure they're trying to keep him here because if he's new to this country, he could get out very easily. Well, yeah. Puerto Rico you know, is, is actually part of, part the, of the, the US. Yeah, I meant <laughs> you know what I meant, sorry. Out of this area. If he gets to Puerto Rico it's harder to get him back. Yeah, maybe. You know. Um yeah, so like sorry, the other baby. the other evidence we talked about was um that they people could say that they saw someone who looks like him buy an SUV that he that looks like an SUV he owns, he has cell phone pings put him there as well. But none of that will be would be enough to convict somebody because nobody he purchased five dollars worth of gas. He purchased five dollars yeah. worth of gas Same in Rutland. Day. That has him in Rutland, not in Princeton. You know, those yeah. are not necessarily neighboring. But why would you get five dollars worth of gas? Maybe you're lo- mowing your, your lawn. Can. Yeah, but he's in Worcester, right? Well, you want to remember something? The young woman, some whoever did this. They put gasoline on her and they burned her. Well, I agree, but I, I think it's circumstantial. I think it's easy to come yeah. up with another reason for Do all of this. I need to remind you of what Henry David Thoreau said about circumstantial evidence. Probably milk. something about milk. Out. Oh yeah, he drank milk and it was <laughs> fishy. You're close. You're close. Sometimes Fish. circumstantial evidence is very strong, like finding a trout in your milk. Ew. <laughs> Yeah, fish I, and milk. Yeah. I don't think. I, I think without the DNA, there's nobody that actually puts him with Vanessa Marcotte, right? Right. And yeah, that, like, that would be very hard to. It's just witness statements. It's an element kind of that sketchy. you have to prove in first degree murder. You have to put them actually where the crime was when it took place. Right. Beyond a reasonable well, doubt. Not even. Definitely have him near the store. I mean, and where he had his um, SUV and he his know. cell phone pings. That's right. all. Cell that's all they have. Pings, is cell yeah. phone pings that and, puts him there because uh, anybody. Own, Leilani drives a black SUV. 
And um, it Let's was questioner. Was there any known relationship to both of them? No. And no. in fact, they know um, that whoever did this to her was someone she didn't know. Um, but doesn't mean that he hadn't, like, he stalked her that day, but it, he may have, like, delivered a package when she was there and been stalking her for a while. That's, nobody really knows. Um, mm. That hasn't been answered. And really, you know, what pisses me off, of, it pisses me off so fucking bad about this whole thing, is that there are people in jail who have been, like, proven that they're innocent via DNA evidence, but we can't get them out of jail, right, mm. for whatever reason, and this motherfucker's DNA is found on her, and if that gets suppressed, he might walk. He probably will, honestly. I would say that the chances are they're not going to be able to make a strong enough case. Now, they might actually be able to argue things like inevitable discovery. We would have. But it'd be based on how the police officer found him, I'd say that that's a weak case, too. Yeah. Because, you know, you just by happenstance notice somebody kind of matches the description. It's hard to make an argument of inevitable discovery in those types of situations when, you know, there's nothing that they had already to connect him. Right. Like, if they could have connected him first, they could have said, well, we would have gotten a search warrant. Yeah. And I think this, the policeman was doing his... I think oh, the policeman was, was doing I'm a great job. He, he was. No, no. I, yeah. I think... Um, so this goes out over their radios, you know, you're, you're looking for yep. this guy, they review that every shift, and he saw something that matched. Now, I'm, I'm sure when he first saw it, he didn't think, oh, I got him, but he has to check him out, so he checked him out, and then one thing leads to another, you know, kind of deal. So the, the, the other thing, um, this form has been used on Hispanic people in Massachusetts for some time. It wasn't like the first one who ever had this done, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, the form is in Spanish, correct? I think so, yeah. yeah. So and what it's... we're talking about is the consent form to have DNA yeah. taken. Yeah. yeah, and it probably does indicate that you are waiving your rights. Mm-hmm. It probably does somewhere, and he's so, just saying he didn't I couldn't I understand it. it. Yeah. yeah, his claim is he didn't understand. He didn't understand it, it or the ramifications of right. his That's actions because he didn't um, have. A lawyer there basically to explain it to him. Yeah, I was gonna say if you're the lawyer, that's the first thing you say to him. Like, did you look at this form? Did you understand it? Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. giving you the way out. And you yeah. know, I feel like um, what I think is interesting is that like this is a pretty brutal crime, and I doubt it. I would go out on a limb here and say probably not his first rape, probably not Most his first not. assault, right? And because he'd only been in Worcester for so long, I wonder if they consider looking into, like, unsolved crimes in Puerto Rico, where he was from, to see if maybe, you know, they can find a pattern or something like will, that. Yeah, or have. And maybe that's the way that they'll get him if yeah, there's no record he gets off. Here in the States. He has no criminal, no criminal no. record whatsoever. But he was only here for a year, right? You're Less saying? than a year. They yeah. had moved in uh, recently, and they'd yeah. come from Puerto Rico. Yeah, so I just I just kind of wonder. That's an aside on me. Um, More circumstantial. Um, so whoever did this was crooked smart enough to try to obliterate the girl's fingerprints or facial structure, you know, with the gasoline burning her. Um, and her feet. And her feet. Feet. And smart enough to pantomime maybe being broken down. It's all circumstantial. Um, this... This fella, when they arrested him, he did something. And a guy who spent quite a bit of time in jail um, that I got acquainted with, 
who, who told me that there's this strategy where they you get a couple lawyers like assigned you to whatever for for a serious crime, and then what you do at the right point in time you fire them, you get rid of them. That's what he did. Yeah. This guy is not stupid. Yeah, he's fired uh, his first legal team. Yeah. And they're the ones who started this. They do that for the delays. Yeah. That's why they do yes. it. Because that's why it's been delayed this long. Yes. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And now they're fighting over DNA evidence again. Yeah. So you know who told me? I'm not going to mention his name, but uh, this fellow had done three gigs in jail. This this is Don confessing to his criminal underworld. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I have a criminal. This fella yeah. quote quote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just. I don't know. I just feel like some things in this country are so fucking fucked up. Like, people can be in jail, and there's DNA that proves that they didn't do it. Craig and I uh, listened to a podcast. Actually, it was a Generation Y podcast just recently. It was fantastic um, for people who listen to Gen Y. Um, but And they were talking about that. Like, a guy was completely exonerated, basically. They proved, the DNA proved he could not have possibly done it. And he still served 30 years in prison. That's not a fucking joke. And this guy, uh, the DNA proves that he did do it and there's a chance he might walk and i just have to wonder like you know who's responsible if he does it again then you know like the system is so fucked up the police did their job right away they did a great job they found the subsect you know they matched him to the dna i don't know it just well just i'll bet you guys a, a mic tie that come september the judge will not throw this out i hope not she'll find a way not to throw it out betcha yeah i mean it, Saying I don't understand is not. I mean, all criminals claim they don't understand. Right. Yeah, um, and, and it doesn't so. cancel out the result of it. That's well, tough. well, the question is, did he under? Really, what what did he not under? Like the main thing he has to understand is that he would have a right to counsel. He would have a right to refuse, as long as he understands that. Right. That. You know, this is not something you have to provide. Right. Um, and most criminals, they're well aware. <laughs> well, yeah, right? So, I think everybody knows, yeah. you know, you don't have to provide yeah. DNA. But it's like Craig and I were talking about this, too, when we were listening to that Gen Y podcast. Is like, if somebody asks you, say, I'm investigating a crime, Steve, and you look like you were in Vermont, and you look like the guy who may have done it, like, can we get your DNA? You could say no. I would have said no. Yeah. But doesn't it make you look like, well, why can't I have your DNA? You know, did yeah. you do it? Are you guilty? You know, like it kind of shades you, right? right? And if they can, and they will probably continue to investigate, and they will eventually then get a warrant. Yeah. If you happen to be the suspect, they'll probably eventually get a warrant. Um, now it's interesting because warrants to collect DNA are harder to get because of you know there's a lot of religious objections. Yeah. Um, so it can be it can end up in tied up in those types of things. So, um, but you know, in my mind, the religious objections shouldn't be considered valid. Uh, honestly, because all they're doing, they're just touching your cheek with a swab. Yeah. It's not like they're not making you do a blood test. They're not making you take a vaccination. Um, <clears throat> well, you're safe, we promise. I have and, a question. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. And he he was probably thinking, well, I never spit on her, so it's not going to show up. Either. Probably. Well, he didn't spit on her with his mouth. That's right. for sure. So if he didn't understand DNA, maybe that's what he was thinking. 
Yeah. Well, the, see that you do, that is actually not really a defense. Yeah, no, it's yeah. not. But it I explains his, why he said yes. I think his, <laughs> yeah. was, his skin was under her fingernails right. too. Like she fought like hell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like we see on movies though where they like cops like collect trash and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. couldn't they collect like even his prison garbage because he is he is in jail. So then they call that inevitable discovery. But the problem now is there's also fruit of the poison tree. If they oh. hadn't gotten the DNA illegal, if they ruled that the DNA is inadmissible, then they can't admit anything from him being in prison because it's fruit from the poison oh. tree. He would have never been in prison had not been for that. So yeah. Well, yeah. That's right. how they get other, like when they do the warrant, if it's not just, they can't. That makes sense. Anything that comes from that after. It's just ridiculous. just doesn't. It's still it's the result is so fucking positive. ridiculous. Yeah, it's so it's fucking so ridiculous. Strange. This this fires me up, as you guys know, and anybody who listens to this podcast or knows me personally, like this fires me the fuck up that somebody could clearly be a rapist and a murderer tied to the crime by DNA and may get away with it. And it frustrates me because women, we have to we have to live our lives expecting to be victimized at one point, and most of us are right, but that's well, just that, not devil, okay. Devil's advocate. I think that in this Devil's case... Devil's advocate. Okay. Um, it isn't about one case that a lot of these uh, rulings are based on. It is supposedly to protect the mass of people and to protect innocent people as well. To protect men. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think what, what Don is talking about is kind of what I was going to say, that in this case the cops did their job, but when the cops aren't doing their job... Many cops have abused. That's why the poisonous tree became a thing because they abused their privileges. Still, and the wrong cop, like the people you said before, weren't that didn't do the crime. They're in crime because people did these things. I mean, jail because of that. So I get why the law is there and why they do it because there's many cases that, like uh, Gracia, a lot of people don't like the fact they have to read you your rights. But before that Miranda. time, you, right? You Miranda, had no idea before yeah. that time. <laughs> Yeah, it I mean, it was pretty nasty. I mean, they beat get it, it out of you. I get it, but look at the result of this, right? It's like this guy who did—he brutally stalked and murdered this yes, woman, yeah. and he could walk. So emotionally, I certainly don't want him to walk, and emotionally, I don't want them throwing out that DNA evidence. Rationally, though, I do understand why they have these yeah. restrictions. His his attorneys will have to make a very compelling case to the judge to get this excluded. They can't mm-hmm. just say, well, we're not really sure he fully uh, understood yeah. exactly and, and what how do was you prove going on. That? And that's, it, it is, it's it's hard, but yeah, it's I his mean, word versus you the know, cop. do you know uh, what yeah. they've done here? I'm sorry, David. I mean, it's a lot of gray area in law. They actually library. brought in uh, experts in the Spanish language in, in this, this hearing about the DNA evidence. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's okay. I didn't know if you knew about that. Um, so they've gone all out, the defense on this, as they should. As they should. The, That's their job. The defense, yeah. They, they have a job to represent their client zealously. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter if your client is this guy or if it's Osama bin Laden. If you are a defense attorney and that that's your client, you represent them to the best of your abilities. I still, I don't, I mean, because I look at, part of what the court has to consider is how invasive is the process of getting DNA. It's really not that invasive. Right. 
You said um, it was a cheek swab, right? So yeah. it wasn't invasive at all. I, and I mean, it's not like they threw him down on the ground and smashed stuck down his door <laughs> and, or stuck anything in his butt. No, or, they, they asked him to yeah, give it. They asked him to give it. Gave him a form, it. he signed it, he gave it voluntarily. And yeah. as, to me, as long as that form explains to him that you have, it, it's part of your right to remain silent. You have a right to refuse this. Yeah. As long as it, to me, then it's voluntarily given, you know, um, because there's no reason to say, you know, well, I only gave it because I didn't think I left my DNA at the crime. Right. That's yeah. not actually. I didn't know you guys had anything. <laughs> that's actually not a, a valid argument. Yeah. Do you know there was an English speaking person there on his behalf with him? Who, who spoke Spanish as well, explaining to him what was going on. Was that the wife? When they were collecting the yeah, DNA, yeah. 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 That so was his it, wife. She's like, yeah, you really should do this. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he was really fucking douche to her, too. Oh, is it true? I, well, he was a misogynist, or he is a yeah. misogynist pig, and the things that he said that he wanted to do to women, the way he treated them, I think it stands to reason that this may not be the healthiest of marriages in the world. And right. there's a lot of that. Um, we've talked about this before. Like machismo, what's mm. that word? Machismo. Yeah, with, you know, sometimes with Latino guys where they're puffers and they're, you know, yeah. all that stuff. But And know. sometimes with white guys, too. And sometimes with the white guys. You know, the, there was that white guy that walked around talking about how he would grab women by the pussy. Oh, yeah. And, Who was know? that guy? Oh, yeah. Do you guys remember him? <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking what a misogynist. <laughs> misogynist. I hope they is... question that guy. I hope so, too. <laughs> well, even look at the fact that all these other women came out. He's only been here a year, and they yeah. all came out saying this stuff. So he was married mm. to his wife. So he was married to his wife. He had three kids, but he would like they said even in his neighborhood, at his job, at his work, he would say um, perverse, crude, sexual things to women about women. Like one of those disgusting. women worked yeah. in the post office. Yes, yeah, because he, he worked was, for FedEx. Right, he was often in the post office, and she was saying this. He'd, he'd be there saying things almost under his breath. Jeez. Yeah, mm -hmm. Oh, he's a sweetheart. What's that word again? Something nugget? Scum nugget. Scum, Scum nugget. nugget. Scum nugget. Something nugget. Yeah. Which be a hashtag. A hashtag Scum nugget. On an oddly positive note, um, Vanessa's family started a foundation called the Vanessa T. Marcotte Foundation. I referred to it a little bit earlier. Um, and it does a lot for women, like self-defense and things like that. Uh, so if you go to their website, which is vtmf.org, You'll get greeted in big, bold letters with something that says, fighting for a world where women live boldly and fearlessly. This is clearly a sentiment that I'm behind, as you all know. Um, and in fact, I reached out to offer up my cheer gym as a location, uh, a, like a host location for a self-defense class that they offer, because that's what they look for. So um, as soon as they like get back to their no longer COVID kind of thing, mm. then maybe we'll do that. Um, but uh, they have other programs, too, like mentoring girls and uh, dealing with domestic violence. However, they do have a program for boys. Nice. Yep. And this program is helping boys understand things like gender equality, learning how to uh, do character building skills, and bystander intervention techniques, which I think is just fantastic. It's training that's so needed. I know Steve brings it up all the time. What do we do about our boys? You know, like... Mm -hmm. Here's an idea. So I do think everyone should look into it. You know, like, there's no reason not to, I think, just to check out the foundation and the classes that they offer. Whether you have a young girl who needs to learn self-defense or you have a young boy who needs to learn how to 
make sure he's being respectful and bystander intervention I think is critical too and I'll put that online for people so they can just click on it and they're trying to like you know keep her memory alive actually the family started this foundation um, in December just a couple months after she had been uh, murdered so they've been trying to do it for quite a few years now yeah Yeah, it's a great thing to do to keep her memory alive and remember the positive things about her also if you go out to the website you can follow like it's like a follow me in my footsteps thing and get to know Vanessa a little bit and it's kind of like a cute little interactive tool on the website so and like everything else I'm sure COVID slowed them down a bit because that's what they said that's when you start to get your momentum oh yeah you know well, at least in this case, so many cases we talk about, they haven't caught anybody. But at least in this case, they've, they've got a pretty substantial suspect. So yep, and let's hope it sticks. Let's hope it sticks. It, uh, my guess is it probably will. I not, I wouldn't wager a lot of money on it, but, you know. Because any time you have a case, you're going to have the defense try and suppress evidence. Of course. Um, yeah, it's so just that it's, it's like the only, you know. It is the only evidence they have, yeah. And, yep. And uh, it's a big problem if they end up losing it. But, you know, the very simple answer to all this is everybody's DNA should be collected at birth. And then we... Oh, there you go, Craig. There you go. There's so many people that have conspiracies against that. That's so Canadian of you. That's so Canadian of you. We would catch a lot more criminals, and really, how big a deal is it? If you have a problem with your DNA being on file, then you've probably got a problem. Well, they're finding a lot of people, Steve was talking about it, like with the 23andMe, because yep. people are just voluntarily giving their DNA up, and the, they're like, all right, we'll just pop that bitch into COVID, into a CODIS system, you know, yeah. so we can track it. All right. So anyway, that was all I had. So, oh, sorry, just hit your mic stand. Good job. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Interesting job. case. So Interesting. We can make it safe. We'll have to follow Very up because September is even Yeah, we will definitely follow up with what yeah, happens on yeah. this one for sure. So next week we're off for the 4th, right? Yes. And then coming up after that is Dave. You're yep. going to do a story on something. The Iceman. The Iceman. Nice. I heard that on the radio coming in, but it was a different Iceman. This guy was a, a guy who dealt with anxiety patients. Yeah, sounds um, different. Yeah, <laughs> it's slightly different than the Iceman I'll be covering. Yeah, um, we actually murdered. Oh, yeah. he, so. he, he murdered a lot of yeah. people, and they weren't. <laughs> My guy calmed so. people down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So he, I mean, they both like ice, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With my two vanilla ice. Dave, yeah. <laughs> if you singing it, people like I'll be all sing. over that. Yeah. Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. You can also send us an email to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CMCrime1. See you all next week.